And now, the Street Photography Magazine podcast with your host, Bob Patterson. Welcome back to the Street Photography Magazine podcast. I'm Bob Patterson, publisher of Street Photography Magazine. And our guest this week is Jeff Sonnabend. Jeff is he's a native New Yorker. He now lives in Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas, the home of, of Walmart. And... Uh, which is interesting in itself. I guess we have a little similarities. We both both moved from from the north to the south, and and uh, learning what that's all about. So maybe we'll probably talk about those things. So, Jeff, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Well, thanks, Bob, for having me. I really like what you do, and I appreciate the invitation. Ah, uh, you're welcome. Yeah, Jeff um, became you uh, set up a profile on our on our website and. I saw it come through, and I happened to notice that his uh, email address, uh, the uh, URL, was for uh, for his magazine, and I, you know, that that captures my attention right away, being in the magazine business myself. And uh, so I thought, oh, I've got to check this out. It's called Interstate Magazine, and uh, I looked at it, and I really liked it, and I liked the work that he's doing. So I said, all right. You got to come on here and talk about what what you're doing. He's got a couple of projects going on, so um, we're going to talk about these things. But before we do that, Jeff, why don't you tell us how you got into st- photography? Uh, I I've always been kind of a, a two hat person. Uh, you know, growing up, I, I definitely had a strong science interest, science background, and and that whole world. And and I ended up in the, in the law as well. So there's that kind of analytical side of things. But I always had a, a need to create. And I bopped in and out of law over the years. Um, the, my first exit from the law, um, I'd been working at some big firms in New York City, or a big firm in New York City. I was really burned out about seven or 10 years into my career. And I, I went looking to see what could I do that's more creative and more fulfilling. And I thought about either going back to school for documentary photography, photojournalism, or into culinary school. And that at that particular juncture, I, t- I, I chose the food over the photo, uh, and I went into <laughs> culinary school. Um, and then later, you know, I drifted back into the law because that's that was how I could pay the bills. Uh, and eventually, though, eventually, eventually, the um, you know the, the the need to create surfaced again it was you know it's something that's just core to who i am and this time i said all right it's it's time to get back into the photography side of things i didn't i didn't go to school i didn't enroll in any courses i've been shooting photography for years so i knew my way around the camera and i and i I had an idea of kind of what my what my thing was and what my my style was and so oh 10 10 or so years ago i pulled out the camera and started started shooting for real and and uh and evolved to where I am today. That's right. You um, said you uh, have been an attorney, and uh, I forgot to mention that at the beginning. He was an intellectual property attorney. So I hear from many of you frequently asking me whether I can do this or I should do that. Should I get a model release, this or that? And I'm not qualified to answer those questions, but Jeff certainly is. Yeah, right. Of course, he's not going to give free legal advice either. But you know, you know what? Actually, that's I'm I'm happy to 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 help out my fellow photographers, and you know, it's there's a lot that's appropriate to do. You know, pro bono, as we say in the legal world. So you know, maybe maybe I can uh, do something for the magazine. Maybe I can get something that you can you can publish that'll help people with issues of releases and whatnot. 
That would be cool. I tell you one thing that uh, that that drew my attention to uh, to you and your magazine is a statement you made about what uh, what Interstate Magazine was all about, and uh, um, basically, let's see. I'm, I'm trying to. I, w- I wanted to read it word for word. Now I can't find my notes, but uh, basically, you're showing America to Americans, like like the uh, the FSA in in the old days That's and right. uh but uh basically said we're a divided nation now that i'm i'm paraphrasing and maybe i i didn't catch the meaning but you know we got the left and the right we've got the rural and the urban and people sometimes um vilify others maybe they don't know much about and uh and, and you know myself i come from two worlds i grew up in appalachia very poor area lived in an urban environment and i've seen that divide myself and you know my theory my feeling has always been that at our core we're all basically the same you know we all care about our families we want them to be safe and healthy we have the same same basic needs food shelter um you know, having friends, companions, things like that. And uh, uh, I saw that a lot in your work, where you're showing real human beings in places that uh, people live in an urban environment don't even know about or care about. That's that's and, right, yeah. And, I, yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It was my work. I mean, I think street photography in general tends towards the humanistic. Um, they're all, you know, you, you talked last week with Matt Brass about what is street photography and mm-hmm. you guys struggled to come up with, the, with an answer because there is no real answer. Right. But we can all, we all recognize certain aspects that, that we identify as, as aspects of, uh, that tag something as street photography. And, and one of the biggest ones is, is the photographing, uh, the, the photographing of humans and their environment, um, whether it's the human environment devoid of humans, which can be interesting or with humans in their environment. Um, and, and, that, and there's, so there's, there's this undercurrent of this humanity that, 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 that speaks to us, through, you know, that speaks to us through street photography, I should say, street photography speaks to us via this, this kind of unspoken humanity. Um, and, uh, and, and I, it, it, it happens, I think, it can happen at a conscious level. We can be looking at a photograph and we can say to ourselves, um, I, I, I recognize that location. I recognize the experience that, that the subject of that photograph is experiencing. I recognize the, I can feel something about it that I recognize. But I think a lot of it also happens at the subconscious level. That is without, you know, this, these so-called type one processes that we're not aware of. We see a photograph of a human being um, and depending on what's depicted there, if it's, a, if it's a human being in distress, our blood pressure may rise measurably, mm-hmm. even if we don't sense it. Our pupils may may contract. Uh, skin things like weird things like skin resistance increase. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, these are all type one processes, all subconscious processes. And on the flip side, if we see someone in a relaxed, non stressful environment, all the opposite things happen. Our blood pressure drops imperceptibly but measurably. Um, people's dilates, skin resistance drops, that that kind of thing. And so, 
And so there is this very human aspect to photographs and a human response to photographs of human. And so, and so with that in mind, I launched my the Interstate Magazine project that you, that you mentioned um, to kind of leverage off of that very human reaction, the same way that the FSA photographers did in the late 30s and early 40s. And that is, if we can show, as the FSA photographers thought they could do, or as I should say, as Rex Tugwell and Roy Stryker, who started the program, thought, if we can show America to Americans, if we can show the human side, or I should say, if we can show the humanity across political divides, across geographic divides, like you said, the urban versus the rural, the, the mountain, you know, I'm here in the Ozarks, which is basically Appalachia West yeah. <laughs> versus, you know, versus the, the Delta versus the city. If you can show the humanity to people, whether they realize it or not, whether they're conscious of it or not, some of these biases, some of these prejudices, some of these outgroup, um, and the outgroup animosity starts to break down. And so that's what I've strived to do, strived to do in my work is to show that America, that American humanity to other Americans to try to break this down and in some small way, maybe start bridging this, this, this divide that's really kind of running amok in America. So you moved from the city to the, you know, the South and the Midwest. Or at, least yeah. at least you're boarding on the Midwest. I mean, was how surprising was that? How much of a change was it for you? It, it, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it was a, a, a huge change. Um, the New Yorkers and, and East Coasters, um, LA and West Coasters, um, always talk about flyover country. Yeah. And I always thought of it as a joke oh, flyover country. Oh, I don't really think I don't really have biases. I don't really have prejudices about flyover country. I understand it. I, you know, I've read my history books. I've, I see the, I see the newspaper, and then, and then you get here, um, and where I am, any, any anyone from Northwest Arkansas will tell you we're not the South here, but in any stretch, we yeah. are we are the Ozarks. I mean, this is the Midwest. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm closer, to, I'm closer to the Missouri border. I'm closer to Kansas than I am to the capital, Little Rock. I mean, it really isn't is the Ozarks um really the midwest um you get here and you and you realize that well you do there are biases um and there are prejudices that you have from the coast and as a photographer um you, i'm you, you, i'm thinking about these biases or these biases are presented to me or they, i become aware of them visually and so the things that i that i see the um the 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 living conditions, for instance, here in Apple, you know, here in, in the Ozarks, like I said, Appalachia West, here in the Ozarks, um, the, the landscapes, the, the way people conduct themselves, carry themselves, the way they dress, it, it's subtle, but when, you, when you're here and you're surrounded by it after being surrounded by Brooklynites, in my case, <laughs> it jumps out, you see it. And yeah. so it suddenly becomes something that, that is easy to record because it's new to you and, and, and you're seeing something new. And so you get the camera up to your face like we do as photographers. And, and there's, there's all that to capture and to show back to my peers back on, back on the coast. So did you, did you find yourself having to 
get over hate to use the term prejudices or things you thought about people in in this part of the country to be able to work with them i mean prejudice it, it prejudice is the yeah. word i mean that, yeah. that is what it is even if it's not an overt prejudice it's yeah not, it, it's 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 more of a subconscious thing you you have pre preconceived notions um of of what people are like what their beliefs might be like of what what their living conditions might be or what their living conditions say about who they are that kind of thing um as a photographer and as as a document documentarian which is kind of how i think of myself a documentary photographer sure um i i learned years ago to to very consciously flip the switch um in talking to people and to turn off the judgments i had yeah what i found though living here is that as soon as the camera was put back in the camera bag you know and i'm <laughs> just I'm, I'm just jeff not jeff the documentary photographer suddenly i was letting these prejudices creep back in mm -hmm. and so that was a big learning experience whether that comes across in the photography i don't i don't know have me on in 10 years and we'll see with some with some you know yeah. some space and, and some perspective whether or not i think that it that it that it did um and whether or not being here now five years whether the photography has changed because i've i've kind of overcome some of these inherent implicit biases that i may have had would have only time will tell i can tell you that that i i am studious in my photography and following three three tenets of all my photography that mm. seeks to address these biases that we all have subconsciously um i can I, I the three tenets are these my photography is always always follows the requirements that they be photographs are truthful the photographs are accurate and the photographs are respectful they're truthful in that they're not doctored they're not so-called you know photoshopped to put something in take something out or there's yeah. some nuances there but but nothing is altered to to change the the subject of the photo to change what was really there um they're accurate in that even if nothing's changed i'm not going to shoot a perspective or something that convey something falsely you know these these so-called perspective tricks um where you have someone sitting on a rock that's three feet off the ground but if you get in the right angle it looks like they're hanging off a cliff type of thing sitting on the edge of a cliff. Uh -huh. and then finally and then this is probably the most important one to, to to really be careful of when you're photographing people and an out group to your in group you know to when you're photographing people that you identify as being others by some measure mm -hmm. is that you, you need to be respectful that is, you don't want to do things that are intended to embarrass them. How, you know, as a lawyer, I'm always interested in trying to define these things and draw the lines. I don't know how you draw that line. I don't know how you come up with a test. You really have to just kind of try to be as honest with yourself as you can be and say, am I doing something that's going to embarrass this person? And it, it's not as simple as saying, I find what he's doing embarrassing because what they're doing, they may not find embarrassing. Culturally, it may be fine. Mm -hmm. For instance, I took a photograph uh, for one of my journals. It was in an ice cream shop uh, in the Flint Hills of Kansas. And they were, I've been chatting with the woman behind the counter when two people came in. I chatted with them and asked if I could take the photograph. They said, fine. And they were, they were, they were obese. They were, they were very overweight, I mean, markedly. 
and one of the guy's shirts didn't quite cover his stomach. And I took the photograph and it was, you know, it was a good photograph. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't Pulitzer Prize <laughs> material or anything, but uh -huh. it was a good photograph and it did convey a, a truth about a, a, this particular part of America and this particular group of people. And I almost didn't publish it because I said, you know, that's embarrassing. His, his shirt's untucked, his shirt, you know, his belly's showing because he's so heavy. And then I said, no, if he's, he's out this way, he, he, this is how he, he conveys himself. This is how he, he puts himself out into the world and he's comfortable with it. And so I shouldn't be embarrassed for him. That's judgmental. That is an inherent bias, implicit bias. And I, and I published Good point. it. Yeah. So the last one, the, 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 that's probably the most difficult. Truthful, accurate, pretty easy to spot something or to know when you'd be not being truthful, you're not being accurate. The, the, the respectful, that can be a tougher call. Yeah, that's true. I know, uh, you know, one of the real hot buttons in the street photography world is photographing the homeless. Right. And very rarely will we publish any photos of homeless people huddled on, uh, you know, park benches or under, you know, a bridge or something, unless it's part of a larger story. And and the subject's okay with it as well but yeah context is important yeah, yeah. I mean, if it's if it's you know so-called for pure you know interests um or you know the so-called um, poverty porn that's yeah to me that's not respectful on the other hand how how you draw that line well that's usually a 64 dollars question it's yeah. interesting and i know you, you you talked about this last week in in in, in your discussion with matt brass about homeless in particular i was uh, before I left New York five years ago, I'd started a, a project, and I guess it's a project still in the works, um, of photographing homeless, but my approach was quite different. And I shouldn't say homeless, because I don't, they weren't homeless, but these were people on the street, usually, mm -hmm. usually asking for, for handouts in New York. And what I would do is I'd go up, and I would chat with them, I'd give them a few dollars, talk to them, explain who I was, that this was a project I was working on, and ask them if they would mind me photographing them while they were on the street asking for asking for donations and what i found overwhelmingly was they almost to a to a person said yes really? they were so happy to be identified as a human and to be treated as if as a human being and not not sidewalk furniture and so i would photograph them and i would sit and i, I shoot everything i, I photograph 90 some odd percent with a wide angle 24 millimeter lens so i would sit wow. a little ways back i'm very big on context i'm very big on environment in the environmental mm -hmm. portrait and i would sit so i would sit maybe on the other side of the sidewalk from them and talk to them while i was photographing them and and it was very rewarding and i and it was and and i felt good in in almost all the interactions because of the feedback i got there was this warmth and this this genuine appreciation of being treated as a human that said i did notice that i would get looks from passers-by who either didn't see that I was having a conversation uh -huh. or just made some assumptions about what I was doing, who were who clearly were judging me and judging me harshly sure. yeah. for photographing this other human being. So it's it's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, interesting question of of when to photograph people down and down and out, homeless and whatnot, and how to do it. So did did you let their judgments stop you or slow you down or you did you just keep working no i mean come on yeah. it, if it, you know we talk about yeah. what defines street photography maybe yeah. one thing is it's 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 uh to use a new york term it's chutzpah 
you know, you, uh, <laughs> a street photographer gets that camera up and they're going to take, they're going to take their, their photos and, yeah, and like they're, not, that. they're not going to let others judge them. Um, yeah. So no, it, they didn't stop me, but it, like I said, I, I noticed it. It was, it was, it was there. Yeah. You could probably feel it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Feel the highs. Yeah. I could share some other stories with it, but I'm not going to do that during the recording, but <laughs> I'd like to take a quick break to thank the street photography magazine subscribers for your support. We couldn't do this without you. You may have noticed that we don't sell advertising or sponsorships in the podcast or inside street photography magazine itself. And that's because we want to be completely objective about the work we publish and the services and gear that we cover. Our only constituent is you, our listeners and readers. So if you like what we're doing, you can support the show by subscribing to Street Photography Magazine. It's only $5 per month, and you can do it by visiting streetphotographymagazine.com slash subscribe. And now back to the show. I saw your... Um your photographic policy. And I, I really, I liked it a lot. It made a lot of sense. Sound a lot like, uh, like rules that journalists, photojournalists have to follow. Yeah, it is. Uh, and when I went to, to formulate, so interstate magazine started in 2017 or so, you mm -hmm. know, halfway through, halfway through the, 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 the Trump years when, when, when I thought the divide was getting worse and worse and worse, I'm not commenting on Trump or Republicans or Democrats or, Anyway, yeah. I'm just, but that's mm -hmm. when it was starting to get sure. to get worse. And the goal was to start it with my photography, but then to open it up to be a, a, a broader thing, probably a nonprofit. And this little this little thing uh, called COVID came along. I don't know if you heard of it, and yeah, that kind of yeah, that. that kind of put the kibosh on the whole thing. But when I was putting together that policy, I had an eye towards a, a bigger project that would have other photographers, and so I went out to see what other respected photojournalistic and journalistic entities had yeah. for their policy. Mine actually is looser than say like the APs um, because my policy, and I talk about, and I think the truthful part, um, I talk about the fact that some modifications to the photo are acceptable as long as they don't change the, the, the subject. They don't change the, the, the substantive content of the photo. And I remember back in the late, 2010s, there's an AP photographer, I can never remember his name, who, was, who had been an AP photographer for a decade or, or so. He was photographing something in Syria, I believe, and he photoshopped out a video camera that had been in the frame. Oh, yeah. He got, he got called to task for it, and he got fired from AP. I think that's, on the one hand, I get it. There's a video camera there that tells part of the story, too, that there are people covering this conflict that, that's the modern reality. Mm -hmm. I remember hand, this. Yeah. Yeah. But on the other hand, it, does it really change the substance of what there, what he was talking about was, was the fight and what was happening. And so under my policy it would have been permitted under the AP, uh, AP's yeah. policy. It was not. So. Yeah. That's, uh, that, that's interesting. I mean, I assume it was okay to dodge and burn and adjust yeah, contrast and things like a, that. Yeah, that's all right. That's right. And, and, in 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 the day in this day and age of computer processing, you know, the computer darkroom, the digital darkroom, and photoshopping, especially now with AI, where you can click a button, and I think even Lightroom has it now. You can click a button, and it'll choose, it'll find people, it'll find faces. Yep. The line between dodging and burning and something more uh, nefarious, to use a judgmental word, um, 
that line is getting blurred, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I just upgraded uh, Lightroom just last week and noticed they added that to the masking. Uh, You were able to choose a subject, but it was really pretty fuzzy as which subject it chose. Now it's like subject, then it'll pick out two, three different people and show their it's <laughs> yeah, their you know, you, you yeah. and I are, are roughly, you know, we're the, we're the same generation at least. Yeah. And to me, I wonder how much of it, am I cheating? I shouldn't be using this tool, but I, t- I think about I that too. That. <laughs> huh? I overcome that. It's all right. I, I end up using, I, I, I give in and I use the tools. They're there. They're there. Hey, you know, in a dark room, you could still, it would be a hell of a lot of work, you That's know, exactly to, to lighten point. somebody exactly up and darken yeah. another, but, but you can do it. Yeah, I, I, I used in a sentence the other day, um, what, what is it? Uh, oh, no, potassium ferrocyanide. My wife said to me, potassium ferrocyanide. And I forgot what it was. I made some joke about it. And I believe that was the bleaching. It was the Kodak bleaching chemical to bleach black and white photos was potassium ferrocyanide. Oh, and really? I remember, yeah, I remember blotting. I had taken a photograph of a girlfriend and, and um I did not. I did not compose it well, and there was a, a pole that in a place that there should not have been a pole. And so mm-hmm. I was. I remember blotting out. This is probably late 1980s. Blotting out this <laughs> pole from this photograph using a potassium ah. ferrocyanide solution. Was I, I think that's out, the chemical. A pole coming out of her head or something like exactly, that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. A lot easier to do and and less dangerous. I. <laughs> that sounds like a pretty dangerous chemical. I don't think I'd want them. I don't know. It's yeah, it's pretty impressive sounding at least, right? <laughs> Definitely not. You know, I, I, um, so you have several journals with within your magazine, and it looks like you made a lot of trips. Yeah, to a lot of places. Yeah, well, I, and that's one of the great things about about being here in in Northwest Arkansas. If you look on a map. Um, at the very northwest corner of Arkansas, literally, it's the it's the county farthest northwest, Benton County, Arkansas. Um, it's almost dead center in the, in the lower forty-eight. I mean, I've heard it said that it's somewhere in Kansas. That's yeah. somewhere being about a hundred miles north of here. Yeah, you're not far from there. Right, and so it, you know, I can hop in the car, or once COVID hit, I I built out one of these so-called uh, van life vans. I can hop in the oh, van and hop in the Sprinter now. And be, I can be on either coast in a day and a half or two day drive, 20 yeah. hours or so. I can be Chicago in 10, New Orleans in 10, Denver in 10. I can be, the, you know, I can go to the northern tier. I can go out to the southwest, which I did a lot for the six project, obviously. Everywhere. So, so yeah, I, it's been, it's been, and it was one of the reasons I was looking forward to moving here was the fact that, you know, I was I was working this these photography projects and working the FSA model, but out of doing it out of Brooklyn, that's that's difficult. You can't get anywhere, yeah, you know, in any reasonable amount of time. But here, here in the center of the country, I can go, I can be in the plains, I can be in the desert southwest, I can be in the Delta, I can be in Appalachia, the Ozarks, you name it, 10 hours to 20 hours, I can be anywhere. So so how did you choose these locations? Did you just randomly go and stop in a town and say, this is where I'm going to shoot? Yeah, I actually wrote an essay about that. Um, and the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> and I managed to say that in a thousand words. Um, I mean, some of it's happenstance. So, for instance, I was meeting some friends in Indianapolis. Again, it's like, a, I don't know, 
eight to 10 hour drive from here. I don't remember. Yeah. And I got off, I got off the interstate highways. I got off whatever it was, uh, 49 or 55 or whatever it was up there. I guess it would have been 44, 44 or 55, whatever it was. And just mm -hmm. got on um, Illinois 57, I think it was. Just to, just driving. And it took me through lower Illinois, being in corn country and through mm -hmm. some communities. And I, know, I made a note of it. I said, I'm going to come back and I'm going to photograph Illinois, whatever, Illinois 57. I forgot which one it is. You can, you can see it on interstatemagazine.com. It's one of the photo journals. So that's one way for sure. Um, and other ways um, are, you know, reading, see, you, you know, reading whatever newspapers you read and see what they talk about. I'm not looking for news per se. In, in a way, I'm almost looking for the opposite. I'm looking for the quotidian, you know, the, 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 just the day-to-day, -day, the mundane. But at least it talks about different places. That's, that's another way. And then, of course, there are projects like the Route 66 project, which, which is right now at the printer. Um, the last book I did was on bowling alleys. So I traveled to bowling alleys around the country. Um, yeah. You know, you follow your muse, I, I suppose. Uh, I was happy to see your bowling alley project. That's something I've been thinking about for years. I lived in Cleveland. We had millions of them. Yeah. And, you know, and they all have a little culture. I used to bowl uh, when I was younger. And I thought this could be a really neat project that I just never started it. And I moved here. We have one bowling alley. And I haven't been in there yet, but, uh, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, a lot right there. Right? Yeah. But in, you know, in Cleveland, you know, you had the West side and the East side and, and, you know, there'd be typical, uh, like Eastern European guys that would bowl, you know, mm -hmm. in one part of town, other parts, mostly African American. And, you know, they could get a lot of different cultures in in a small area. And I never did it. I'm so pissed at myself for not doing it. Yeah, and then I saw yours. I go, damn it. Good for him. <laughs> they're, they're, that's a that's that's it's it's a fascinating exercise. Um, so the two main types of journals that I was focusing on in the Interstate Magazine project were place journals. So whether it's a, a particular city, particular region, like the um, uh, the uh, the Arrowhead of Kentucky, um, uh, which is called the Jackson Purchase, or mm -hmm. I shot Louisiana Highway One, which goes all the way from the border with. Um, Arkansas all the way down into the into the Gulf, so Louisiana one or whatnot. These place that was one these place journal. The other journal though were these cross sectional journals, which are much harder to shoot and they take longer. Although I guess you can squeeze them in with other projects. That's taking an institution such as a bowling alley that exists across different communities in different places and photographing it. And what's interesting about the cross sections is they are just that they're cross sections. And so what you end up with is visually you get to see um, bubbling to the surface similarities between very disparate communities but because it's the same um cultural institution in this case a bowling alley there are certain cultural norms and mm -hmm. cultural practices that take place there and so it's really fascinating to see that bubble to the surface and at the same time you see the regional things that are different um, and the size of the bowling alleys, and for instance, in the case of the bowling alley project, or um, uh, the the dress that people wear, you know, there are similarities. They're wearing bowling shoes, but there are a zillion different kinds of bowling shirts and a zillion different kinds of you know pants that people are wearing, whatever, wherever the outfits are. So, so it, these cross-sectional projects are fascinating, and and anyone, you know, I encourage any anyone who's a, who's a street photographer, which I guess the audience mostly is. If they want to get out of the comfort zone a little bit, 
pick, pick a cross section, pick some institution, get in the car or fly or how, however, and go photograph them. Use your, 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 your street photography sensibilities and that keen eye that we all develop as street photographers of, of picking up the things that other people walk right by and apply it to the same institution in different places. And it's endlessly rewarding. So when you, you'd show up in a town, you'd see a bowling alley, you walk in, uh, of course, you probably shot it from the outside, of course, and you walk right. in right. and you want to do some, make some photos in there. What do you say to the person? So, so especially this guy with this funny accent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who talks too fast and interrupts, right? Exactly. Um, you know, it's funny as aside, I got to talking to some people uh, on one, one thing, one place I was shooting and they, they, I told them I was from Arkansas and they, they, they would not believe me. I had to show my, my, <laughs> my driver's license. Exactly. And then, uh, but then I admitted after, after they said, oh, I guess so. I said, but I'm really from Brooklyn. So, <laughs> um, so, so here's some things I learned, and this is a great tip, you know, um, if you're working a project. Even, or even if you're not working a project, but you do this kind of thing off. Business cards mm -hmm. are incredible. And it's, it's kind of silly, really, on a yeah. substantive level. But you hand someone a business card, and it gives you some kind of uh, validation, some kind of a premature, some kind of you know, cred. And I have found that people are more willing to... to, to talk with you and to be and to be photographed once you give them the card now here's another tip i learned the hard way if you give them the card before you photograph them ask them to tuck it away before you photograph them oh because they're holding it on the business card in them um there's one if you look on, on the flint hills of kansas photo journal on, on my website you'll see there's a uh, an older guy on on i photographed on his front porch i forgot to ask him so you can see the business card in his hand. but most the rest of them i think they're all put away okay. so that's one thing um if you have a website set up if you don't set one if you don't have a website set up set one up yeah and you know you can use you know whatever the tools are it can be i don't know what a Flickr account a smug mug whatever people are yeah. using these days um and and have that on the website people can check it out and then for larger projects like for the bowling alley one i had a project page for that that had yeah. that had a you know kind of a little white paper talked about what i was doing it had um some That's photographs and for that one, I actually printed out little postcards, so a little larger that had a nice photograph on the front, information on the back. And I would hand that to the managers. A few of them would say, hold on. They would go in the back to their computer in their office, bring up the website, say, oh, okay, this guy's not, you know, he's not, he's not yeah. here to case the joint. So to, to rob yeah. it, or at least if he is, he's really doing his homework. Um, and they would let me photograph. So th those are some things. Those are the ways I did it. Um, business card a website for your work or for the project. And then in some cases, even something a little more fancy, like, like a postcard and, you know, and that plus some honesty, um, and, and just human to human conversation and, and it, it get, it opens a lot of doors. Yeah. That's great advice. Uh, that's funny about tucking the card away. Cause I, I was in, um, town on the other side of, of our mountain. I live on one the east side of the blue Ridge. We're right. on the west side in this town, Stanton, Virginia. They have the, yeah, the Camera Heritage Museum. Matter of fact, I, I did a newsletter 
article uh, about uh, took part of it took place there, and I photograph the guy. You know the the guy around. It's it's very interesting place, by the way. If you ever find yourself on uh, Interstate 81 in Virginia, I highly recommend getting off and going to see it. They've got the largest public collection of cameras in the world. They're in the United sure States. I, I blew out a tire on Interstate 81. Actually. You did. I'm, That's I'm not bad. a good place to <laughs> to stop not. anywhere. I mean, it's <laughs> it's a scary highway. But uh, yeah, so it, and so I photographed the. There was a woman there who was his assistant, and I was chatting with her, and I gave her my card, and I made a few photos of her. And each one of them, she's holding my card, and I go, oh, damn, that's going to yeah, be in yeah. the picture. Well, that's that's how I learned the lesson, too. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's that guy's holding my card. Yeah. So, and, and it's become like just second nature now. I'm like, can you just tuck that in your pocket? And I even say to the people I'm photographing, tuck that in your pocket. I don't want to yeah. end, end up in my photos. And they kind of chuckle, and it's another way of. Yeah. Affords you that human connection. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I do want to talk about the uh, your your Route sixty six project, but I, I want to ask one another question before we do that. Sure. And, and you recommend in your your magazine, you recommend a photographer uh, Yasutaka Kojina, Japanese photographer. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. And. Totally different from what you do. I, by the way, I never heard of him, and I love this stuff. Yeah, I don't, and uh, I don't remember where I came. Like, photo, I think I had a thing called photograph photographers you should know. Mm -hmm. I don't remember where I found him. Yeah, um, I don't remember even remember if it's a he or she. I think it was a he. Um, yeah, but his work just spoke to me, and you know what? Yeah, that's it. I put it My, out there. Share it. That, exactly. I, I love it. It's exactly. you know, there's like no people in his photos. Yeah, which is really cool. His compositions are amazing. Yeah, they spoke to me too. And yeah. the interesting thing is, I went. I actually at the at the dawn of the COVID era, I was actually in, in Tokyo. I actually, my my family and I all got COVID in 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 Japan oh, um, in January of 2020. So we we were some we were early. First. You were early. And we were early. Early strain. I don't know what what letters or numbers they were giving you, but in any event, number one. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, the interesting thing about his this photographer's work, you say that it's devoid of people. It's hard to be anywhere in Tokyo that's devoid of people. It yeah. is an incredibly dense, sprawling city where you can't get away from people other than maybe your 100 square foot apartment, you know? Yeah. So the fact that he was able to find these, these, these moments, these quiet moments, these, this, this, this uh, human environment devoid of humanity moment these moments it's Eddie, really remarkable they did it in new york and yeah. berlin yeah and i'm sure lots of other places but uh, i particularly like like his work in berlin yeah yeah very good so thanks for that recommendation we'll, we'll have to put it put it well definitely now have to put a link to uh uh to his work in the show because we're talking about it um but yeah route 66 so you're 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 doing something totally different or not totally different uh, it it really resonated with me because my my, my brother-in-law lives in uh, st louis mm -hmm. and we like to camp we have a, oh no we weren't camping okay but uh we decided to meet up with him in uh what's the name of that place with all the fake singers in missouri branson branson missouri oh man and missouri. <laughs> so we got we we uh uh got a, a marriott 
timeshare in Branson, Missouri. And he came down with his boat from St. Louis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And on the way there, we're going through Missouri. And my wife's looking on Yelp for a place to stop to eat. She goes, this place looks interesting. It's on the old Route 66. And it's a place you go into and they have, if you're coming with a tie, they cut the tie off and hang it up in the Maybe it wasn't a tie. It might have been something else. And so we go in there and we had to go down Route 66. And I mean, it, it was like kind of a four lane road and it had like grass growing up. Yep. You know, in the middle of the road. And, you know, we drove about 15 miles on this thing. It was the coolest place. Yeah. I, I photographed a lot in there. And then I saw your primer and I go, oh, that's pretty neat. You yeah, know. I mean, I, to me, the prime, the the Route sixty six is probably primer and primer. They're both they're, they're both correct, and I've always gone with primer. Oh, um, okay. Well, either either way, they are both correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it, to me, you know, I, I talked about shooting was Illinois fifty seven or whatever it was, and Louisiana Highway one. You know, these that's a that's a definition of a place, a a, a particular route. Well, yeah. Is there any route more American than Route sixty six? You know, I mean, maybe. I think my kids' generation, they're you know, a 20, 20 year old and a 17 year old now, they don't know from Adam when it comes to Route 66, but at least from a certain age up, Route 66 is like the quintessential American road. It's an ideal even. And I talk about that in the various essays I've done on the project. So, so, it, so it is a place. And on some level, it's a street. As a matter of fact, the nick, one of the nicknames was the American, Main Street of America. So it is a street, and so a street photographer should, on in, on some level, feel quite at home there. Um, on, on the other hand, it's you know depending on which alignment you choose, it's twenty two hundred miles long, twenty four hundred miles long, yeah. And and technically, it doesn't even exist anymore. It was decommissioned in nineteen eighty four, eighty five, something like that. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't even exist. You cannot, you cannot get on Route 66 in Chicago and stay on Route 66 to Santa Monica like you used to be able to. It's a physical impossibility. Um, So for all these reasons, it's hard to photograph. But, but, you know, it can be done. And when you, if it's done right, and if it's done with, you know, truth and accuracy and respect, you have another, yet another picture of America, another, in some sense, a cross-section, because it goes through so many communities, but in some sense, a place that is to some people the most one of the most quintessentially american so you did so your primer primer so what is it it's a book right yeah it's it's a it's a photo journal it's a photography yeah. book just like bowling the american dream was a was a photography book about the place of bowling alleys this is about the place of route 66 the difference is and you know as I traveled, I would stop into various gift shops in various in various um, towns along the route, and and there were a lot of books and a lot of photography books. And you can go on Amazon now and find some some varying degrees of of quality. But there are some seriously good photographers who have photographed Route sixty six, yeah. but almost to a person, what they've photographed is 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 a nostalgic view of it. It's you know it's uh huh they they. When, when you say Route 66, 66 when you say the, the, the name Route 66 to people of a certain age, it conjures very strongly, like I've been saying, these, these American ideals or these, these images, these, these nostalgic visions. Nostalgia being really the operative word. It, it, it conjures images of 
you know, fifties cars or there's or convertibles shooting down the highway, right. From the, from the uh-huh. show, right. There was a, a Corvette convertible. Um, and some of these, some of these, you know, kitschier, kitschier motels, like the motels that were in teepees, fifties you know, mm-hmm. diners, lots of neon, um, the, the giants, they're all these, um, 10, 12, 15 foot tall human figures that were for advertising the so-called giants. And that's, that's what it conjures. And that's what people photograph. You'll find a lot of photographs of the Blue Swallow Motel in Tucumcari, New Mexico, sitting right on Route 66, the big Blue Swallow sign in neon. There'll be the, the 1950s car that the owner has that he parks out front. Um, and it will be a jewel box sky to, to talk a little, you know, photography geekness here. There'll be a jewel box, blue sky in the background. And it's a beautiful photograph. But if you're there, if you're standing on Main Street in Tucumcari, which is Route 66, right by the Blue Swallow Motel, middle of the day, and you look to the left or to the right of the Blue Swallow, there are empty lots. Uh. Down the block, there is an abandoned shopping center. Down the block the other way, there's an abandoned shopping center. There are pawn shops up and down the road. Go a block off of Route 66. And there are people living there, primarily, predominantly in trailer homes or smaller homes, you know, 500, 600, 700 square feet, 1,000 square feet, um, probably at or below the poverty level. And they're living there. And to them, Route 66 and Tucumcari is not this theme park like these, all these photography books on Route 66 would have you believe. Mm-hmm. It's just their Main Street where their supermarket is or, or where they drive, how they get to Walmart, you know? And so that's what I set out to photograph. And that's what my book captures or tries to capture. I'm, I'm happy with the results. I think, I think it goes a long way to, to the goal I, I set out to achieve. It captures what's really there, both right on the route and then off to the side and the communities that are kind of hanging off. And so that's what the Route 66 primer is. And that's what distinguishes it from all this, this, these bookshelves full of other Route 66 books. Yeah. And how do you get this book? I saw you had a Kickstarter. Sounds like you sold it out, huh? Yeah, it, almost. It was, it was fully funded. Um, it's on, I think the listing is up on Amazon now. So if you look at mm. Route 66 primer or Jeff mm. Sonnenbend on Amazon, it's, you know, I haven't gotten it back from the printer yet. Um, oh. But it's on, it, it's almost sold out. So if listeners want to get it, they should try to get in and order it as quickly as possible because this first run is going to be gone pretty quickly. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm going to try to pick up a copy if I, if I can get one. Yeah. Now you, but you, you self-published, right? I yes. mean, you, you found a printer. I mean, it's, so it's not like being you know, electronically printed, you know, on demand. No, it's not on yeah. demand. It's yeah. not, it's, it's, it's a super high quality printer. It's digital. It's not offset. Yeah. Um, but it's about as high quality digital print as you'll ever find that I'll give them a plug. The printers that I'm using are called bookmobile. Mm-hmm. They're fantastic. I think they're in Minnesota, um, Northern pier. Um, and they are great to work with. They don't specialize particularly in photography books. Mm-hmm. Um, as we were saying, talking about before we went live on the podcast, yeah. um, but they, but they, they, they are a top quality outfit and they've worked very hard with me to get things right. They did my bowling book. I was very happy with the results there. 
when I got the proof back, the unbound proof from the Route 66 project back in December, the color was off and it took some, it took some doing and they figured out what it was. It was a color profile issue on there. Uh-huh. Um, but they worked through it. And when they, the last proof that came back was, was spot on. And, um, and that's, that's how I'm publishing. So Bookmobile is yeah. anyone out there who wants to publish, they're worth looking. Wow. So what'd you, what'd you learn from, from that? From the printing from, process? Yeah. Just, yeah. The whole thing of, well, not just shooting it, but turning it into something real, something tangible. Um, I mean, to me, I, I don't know if this answers the question. I, I, I years ago, um, bit the bullet and bought a Canon, what is it? A, uh, Pro 9500, I forgot, Mark II or whatever. You know, there. 13, I just got, 17, yeah. 17-inch, yeah, whatever it is, printer. So not a super large big format. Big one, yeah. 17 yeah, is big, it, yeah. But it's, but it's, but it's good. Size. Because I, to me, like, I, look, I know like someone like Gary Winogrand when it went around and shot. When he died, there were 100,000 yeah. or something frames yeah. that he had never even seen. Like, to him, he was happy just shooting. At least towards the end, he was just happy yeah. shooting. He didn't care. And I know you talked about a little bit about that last week. I know Matt. Your last guest was talking about mm-hmm. um, to him. He likes being able to the joy of, of digital photography is being able to share it very quickly. And I agree with that. I love yeah. being able to put it up on a website. But to me, the process isn't done. And the real thing is the print. And so making a book, I could have just published a website. I could have had a PDF. Of yeah. book. No, to me, I wanted I wanted yeah, I want the hard copy. Right. Up. Exactly. The tangible thing. Um, and, you know, and so you have to learn a whole different set of skills. Printing is not as simple as, it's not as simple as pressing print. You have to learn about color management. Yeah. End to end, you have to learn about color profiles. You have to work with printers who may, may not have their ducks quite in a row on the, on the color profiles. And you have to learn how to lay out a book. I, I, for my bowling book, I, I hired someone and, and they got me going. This person got, got me pointing in the right direction, but I quickly realized I needed to learn the skills myself. And so, yeah, um, those are, those yeah, are it's a lot. I just, I just got a printer over the holidays and I put it off and put it off because mm-hmm. I know it could be fiddly and, and, and it's, it's expensive. And if it, you don't print the, the heads get clogged. So you got to kind of, you have to keep using it all yeah. that. And, uh, but, you know, I, I was testing papers and, uh, you know, I started printing some of my work and, and it, there was just nothing, you know, usually I would send it out and get it done, but right. this way I can do it exactly the way I want. But it's, you know, it's real, you know, when it, when it comes right. out of that printer, it's real. And I know you have, you have some dark room in your past, right? Oh so, yeah. Right. Yeah, a so long this time is, ago. Yeah. This, right. Exactly. But, so this is, this is the, you know, the 21st century version of the dark room is yeah. when that print comes off the printer, you, you made it, you know? Yeah, you did. Now hang it up somewhere. Yeah. Exactly. Now I'm working on frames and mats and things like that. All that yeah, stuff. you know, it's funny for a while there. I was cutting my own mats, and yeah. um, I don't have the patience for that. I, I that's why I guess that's where I draw the line. I'll let someone else cut my own mats. I, yeah. I have a I have a nice mat cutter the whole nine yards, and I said, you know what, this is. I'm a you photographer. Know, I'm not. I'm not my mother was a painter. Yeah. And she got into framing. And then she would paint fo- pictures and she would frame them. And she had all this stuff, all of, you know, mat cutter, all this stuff. And I thought, I'm not going to use this. And I, I gave 
most of it away. I, now I'm thinking, gee, I wish I would have kept that Should thing. Kept, yeah, that stuff's not cheap. Yeah. Um, well, one more thing about Route, Route 66, though. Mm -hmm. You ever watch, you ever see the Baghdad Motel movie? I don't think they have. No, it's Baghdad, but they spell it different than than the city Baghdad. But it takes place along Route 66. It's sort of a period piece. Uh, it's really good. So you'll, you'll, you'll have to watch this. It. It was like in this old like motel truck stop, you know, old style truck stop before all the big companies came in. Right, right, right. And it's like a place where the community gathered. Yeah, I'll definitely uh, check, check it out. Check it out. I, was, I, I think I always, like it. I when I'm being on 66, especially the New Mexican Arizona stretches of it, reminded me more of uh, Vim Vendors, and <laughs> I always thought about um, his movie Paris, Texas, and mm -hmm. his photography. And if, if if your viewers don't know Vim Vendors, spelled Wim Wenders, it's the German pronunciation, but W I M W E N D E R S, Wim Wenders, Wim Wenders. You know, he was out scouting locations for. For this paris texas movie and he ended up with this body of photographic work of the southwest that um i think is really beautiful and um but so riding along route 66 in the southwest parts in particular i i, I felt like i had i had him in the, in the car with me almost and i would think about paris texas which is also a very good movie wow i'm gonna check that out too i like you're, you're gonna cost me money <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna. Yeah, you're definitely gonna cost me money. So you, so you're you're getting this book put to bed. Um, what's next? What do you you know? What's your next project? Yeah, you know that's a that's a good question. I, it's it's I've <laughs> I, my wife pointed out to me that that um, again, unlike like Matt, your guest last week, who said he's he's shooting constantly. I find if I'm not motivated by a project. My cameras tend to go away. Yeah, um, and I, I don't think that's good. I, I wish I, I wish I had more motivation just to shoot daily. Maybe I should do a picture a day project again. But um, but I'm trying to. I'm, I'm feeling the itch very heavily, and I'm trying to think of what I might do. One project is a cross sectional project. I'm a I'm a hockey player. Still at age 55, I'm a hockey player, and 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 that's <laughs> like a, a culture, you know, yeah. it's rituals and it's it's vernacular and it's. It's environments. So I thought about maybe maybe trying to photograph men's leagues around around the country and maybe maybe youth leagues as well. Um, that might be a couple works, a couple two related work. And beyond that, you know, America is um, I don't know what is it three and a half million square miles in the lower forty eight, something like that. It's three hundred twenty five million people. There's there's no ends of communities and places to photograph. I just have to wait until the until the muse speaks to me and i'll find some place else to, to photograph yeah yeah i just uh listened to i i like the bnh podcast i don't know if you listen to it i yeah i've heard some of them they I, it's just from probably in the fall it was a woman she's actually a they, uh, they, um <laughs> sports illustrated sorry sports mm -hmm. illustrated photographer Mm -hmm. And she did a whole series on baseball, youth baseball, yeah, all around the country. And it's, it sounds fascinating. And yeah. again, that's a cross-sectional cross project. No. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Well, Jeff, thanks. Um, it's very interesting talking to you. I'm so, so happy you invited me on. Yeah, yeah, me too. Glad I, glad I saw your stuff. Thanks for 
creating a profile on our on our website so so we could find you and um but before we go tell everyone where they can find your work the two places right now they can find my work are uh, interstatemagazine.com that has the old interstate projects and the route 66 primer or primer is on the route 66 primer.com uh, and that if it doesn't yet we'll eventually have a link over to amazon as well so you'll be able to pick up a copy if you act quickly your thoughts about the show go a long way in helping us decide on the guests and the subjects that we include in each episode so please take a few moments to write a review in apple podcasts or whatever service you use to stream your podcasts it helps us know if we're on the right track and it helps others to find and enjoy the show. The editor of Street Photography Magazine is Ashley Refo, and our audio engineer is Russell Boyd from WeBit Studios, found at webitstudios.co.uk. I'm Bob Patterson, and this is the Street Photography Magazine podcast, a service of Street Photography Magazine. Mm-hmm.